Good morning, Covenant. Good to see you all this morning. Join me again in the 23rd Psalm. We're in week three now of a series called At Peace, learning to live with a peaceful heart, living in tranquility, even in the middle of a world that's coming apart. One of the things that we're discovering that I think is so encouraging, at least it has been for me and I hope it has been for you, is that you don't really need that world that's coming apart to be put back together in order to live at peace. Now, let's be honest, we'd all like to see that, wouldn't we? But here's the thing, nothing needs to change. You don't need to wait for another election. You don't need to wait for price, for gas prices to go back under $3 a gallon. You don't need your family dynamics to change. You don't need your financial status to change, to live at peace. You can live tranquilly. And, and we've, we've discovered some wonderful lessons over the, the last couple of weeks about what that looks like, what it looks like to follow the Lord and to really live with a settled heart. But today we're going to complicate things a little bit because we also recognize not everything that troubles your heart comes from the outside, does it? Some of those things come internally. Some of those things I stir up on my own. I don't know about you, but, but drama tends to upset the apple cart sometimes. And what, what, what happens in my life when that gets out of control? And more particularly, when, when I'm so stirred up internally that, that I might say something like this, I don't know what to do. You ever been there? I don't know what to do. Maybe even some spiritual veneer, legitimate or otherwise on that. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I don't know where he wants me to go. Y'all remember that game Simon says as a kid? Anybody remember that? You guys like that game? I hated that game. Let me tell you why. Because I would, would not be diagnosed with this until the age of 38. I did not know that I was struggling with, a, with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And so Simon says, drove me nuts. But for those of you who loved it, you, you probably, one of the things that was simple about it, that, that you loved about it, it was simple, wasn't it? You, you started out with, Simon says, raise your right hand. Simon says, raise your left hand. Simon says, put both your hands down. Simon says, stand on one leg. Put your leg down. Oops, right? I lost because the aim of the game is when I hear that Simon has said something, I've got to do that thing. And, and so the issue is to always obey the voice of this mysterious person named Simon, right? But it, but it was a simple game. And then what happened is we, got, we all grew up. We became adults we learn that life is not really that simple, is it? It's not that simple. And then we get ourselves in an internal fix, and particularly with regard to our relationship with the Lord, we're like, why doesn't he just write it in the sky or something? Like, why, why you know, can I just play Simon Says? Can I get my magic eight ball out? Like, what, what am I supposed to do to figure out exactly what he wants me to do? That happens at the macro level with decisions at, at every level. Like, where do I go to college or who do I marry or when's the right time to have children or should I stay in the job I'm in or should I get a different job? And I've had people uh, come to me who are called to ministry, but it happened not when I would, at my age, when I was younger and everything was simple and, and it's easy to do that. You just, you just go to school, right? You, you do it. You don't have anything weighing you down. These folks are in their thirties or forties or maybe even fifties. And now they're like, okay, I can't just leave everything or I don't think I'm supposed to leave everything and just run off to school or to seminary. I don't know how I'm supposed to prepare. I've got kids who need to be educated on their own. I've got a mortgage. I got all these responsibilities. And, and really there's a lot on the line here if I get this wrong. So pastor, why doesn't he just write it in the sky for me? I'll do whatever he wants me to do. I don't know what he wants me to do. And then there are a few of you, and we all love you, 
But you get this tore up even at the micro level. Like you almost broke out in hives today trying to figure out what shirt to wear because you thought God cared about that, right? There are people who think those kinds of things. Am I doing though, and this really is at the heart of all of it, am I doing the right things? Am I making the right choices? We have military families here who are always asking that question. Do I go ahead and retire? Do I try to make it a few more years? Is it worth moving to another town? Some of you barely made it here today, probably in a vehicle that's at the sunset of its life. And you're like, do I go ahead and trade it in and get something new? Or do I just drive this thing until the wheels fall completely off of it? And you're, you're just trying to wonder. And, and you may wonder if you follow Jesus, where's the Lord at in all of this? And you may wonder further, am I sure? How can I be sure I'm doing what he wants? One of my favorite Methodists is a guy named Leonard Sweet. And he tells us that often the problem is that we're looking in the wrong place for God's will. He says, our faulty sense of direction tends to lead us far away from Jesus' focus of around and within and instead of looking for God at our feet, in our homes, across our desks, we imagine that the divine must be somewhere far away and out of reach. As a result, we tend to lose our sense of direction altogether, which is another way of saying if you are not focused it's going to be difficult to impossible for you to live the kind of life that King David is describing for us here in what is perhaps the most famous poem in the world, certainly the most famous poem in all of Scripture. How do I live at peace? I got to be focused. I need to know that I'm walking the way the Lord wants me to know. And for those of you who wonder how to know that, I've got some great assurance for you today. If you're wondering or if you're worrying about this, here's that word of assurance. God is already leading you right now. He's leading you. If you belong to Jesus, if you're seeking to be faithful to Jesus, he is already working out his will in your life. Look at these very encouraging words from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, we are his workmanship. You're God's project. Did you know that? And you're not the project that he forgot about and left you in the garage to be covered with dust. He's been working on you every single day, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God didn't just plan to save you, to justify you and put you in right relationship with him. He also intends to sanctify you to make you more like Jesus by the end of today than you were yesterday, more like him tomorrow than you are today. That, that's his goal, and he's continually working that process out in your life if, in fact, you belong to him. And so if you want to be involved in what he's doing, this is what Henry Blackaby taught us for some 30 years, was you, you find where God is already working, and then you go join him in that work. If that's what you're interested in, and if you're at this place where internally you're not at peace because you wonder if you're making the right decisions, here are some great words of encouragement today. How do I know? How can I know? How do I know I'm following him? Let me give you three words of encouragement here, starting with this one. Submit to the shepherd's guidance. I want you to notice these first three words. David says, he leads me. That, by the way, is a present tense verb, and this is where everything starts. I need to simply submit, which means I have to give him everything. Ongoing, continuous submission to the known will of God. So you could accurately translate it. He keeps on with consistency leading me, which means that my relationship to him, if it matches what I read in King David's words here, is characterized by consistent 
continuous obedience, permanent allegiance to whatever he wants in my life. This is where it starts. I have to ask myself, not first of all, how is God going to reveal to me the things that I don't know? I need to first ask myself, am I walking in the things that I do know? Because we all know there are things that God has revealed to us. We don't have to ask him, right? And when I get a dude comes into my office and he says, well, I, I'm just, I need you to pray with me about whether or not it's okay to cheat on my wife. I don't have to pray about that, right? There are certain things that are abundantly clear. There are times like foolishness like that where your pastor will say, no, I will not pray with you. That's a Joshua kind of prayer, right? When they, when they lose at AI after defeating the the the, the, the the folks at Jericho, and then they get this massive defeat, and apparently there's, there's this sin in the camp that's going on. Joshua apparently must know about it because he hits his knees to pray and to cry out to God and to ask God, what will you do for, his great, what, for your great name? And what does he say to Joshua? Get up. Just get up. There are times where God says, I don't want to hear that prayer. You know what you're supposed to do. I've revealed it to you. It's as plain as the nose on your face. Now, here's that, that word of assurance, though, comes then by, by desiring God's will above your own. Right? Don't we have this example from Jesus? Not my will, but yours. We have this example from Jesus in the Lord's prayer. He taught us to pray, and he taught us to, to settle our hearts early in that prayer by, by saying with our words as well as with our spirit, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is first. Before I ask you for anything, before I cry out to you for anything, before I thank you for anything, first priority, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see that here. We see that. That's how you get a focused peace. That's how you will ultimately develop a sense that you're, you're exactly where God wants you to be. You, you may be attaching too many tangible markers to this. Well, I must be doing okay because my wallet's fat. I must be doing all right because this is happening. We, we'll keep reading, right? We've got a few more weeks in this psalm, and especially when we get to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God doesn't take the trouble away. What we start to see here is that, is that the, the presence of enemies, the, the, the evidence that you're walking in his will is not always tangibly pleasant, right? Sometimes it's not. Man, have we fallen for this in the church world, right? Well, we must be doing something wrong. People left. We must be doing something wrong. People are doing this. People are doing that. We must be doing something wrong. Well, it, it might be. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it's not, though. The first question we ask is not the tangible one, what's going on. The first question we ask is, have we responded in complete obedience and surrender to what God has already revealed and what we already know? Which means I got to come to him unconditionally. No fences around any part of my life, no barriers around any part of my life. Lord, you can have everything except I'd like to hang on to this. Well, that, whatever that is, that's going to be the very thing that causes you internal turmoil. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you because I've pastored people and I've seen them go there. I'm telling you because I've been there myself. I've been there myself. And, and so we got to stop focusing on the future. Lord, what do you want me to do? Start focusing on the one who's leading us. Everything is his. That's where I start. Now, the good news is I can have the kind of peace David's talking about 
if I'm willing to do that. The better news still is I have examples from this in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, we got a great example of this. We read of, of, of the man Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, you and I, we live in a day where it's pretty common for our kids to grow up, go away to college, graduate, find a job that's sometimes four or even five states away, and we just deal with it. That's our life now. That's life in the 21st century. It's not that we don't miss them, but we also know they're an airplane right away. No big deal. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just continue to do this, and we'll, we'll, have, we'll maintain that relationship. This meant something very different in an ancient world, not only with no airplanes, but no retirement homes, no comprehensive health programs, no social safety net. You depend on your kids. So this phrase, go from your country and your kindred, it's a big ask from God to Abraham. Leave everything. And to complicate matters more, Abram says, where am I going? To the land that I will show you. How would you like that assignment? Okay, well, if I'm going to leave everything I've ever known and go, where am I going to go? And the Lord says, basically, I, I'll let you know when you get there. I mean, you think about that. In the 21st, this is one This is one advantage that the ancient world has over us. At least he could have packed up and gone. In the 21st century, we can't do that. We can't. Because if the Lord says, move, and I'll show you when you get there, and you're thinking, okay, well, here's my house, and here's all my stuff, I got to have a big old U-Haul. And so if you live anywhere in the area, you're probably going to call our buddy Ronnie Brown, who he and his wife Maria are members here at Covenant, and you're going to say, I need to rent a U-Haul. Ronnie's going to pull a contract and start filling it out. And, and because he doesn't know how much he's going to charge you until he knows the distance to and from, he's going to ask what to the rest of the world will be a rather reasonable question. Where are you going? And you're going to say, I don't know. And he's going to say, well, then I can't rent you a truck. It's like, it's not even like, this is almost impossible in this day. And yet Genesis tells us this is exactly what Abram did. Now we know enough about the rest of this man's life to know he was far from perfect, certainly not the example overall that we need to be following. But in this one singular great moment of faith, and thank God for Abraham, there will be many more of those in his life by God's grace. We learn this. Abram wasn't concerned about being in the right place. You know why? Because he recognized as long as he was following the Lord, he'd be in the right place. He wasn't concerned about the details of those kinds of things. And that's what you and I are called to do if we want to live with this kind of peace. We don't want to be concerned about where we're going. We just follow Jesus. We submit to his guidance. And that starts with a disposition of unconditional obedience. Do you know there's never a single time in all of Scripture and as a result, I'm going to reasonably conclude that there's probably never been a time in the life of anybody who's ever lived where God actually called us to know where we were going. Did you know that? No place in Scripture or anywhere else. He just says, follow me. All right? Think about some of the places Jesus took his disciples. Not places they would have gone. Not places they would have planned to go. Right? And that's what we're called to do. And you, so what's important is not where you're going, it's who you're going with, right? He leads me. Where are you going? It doesn't matter because it's him. He leads me. 
And so in order to do that, you've got to know what he's commanded you to do. You've got to obey his written word. He leads me. Well, there are things he hasn't told you, but there are things he has, right? Let me tell you something that is not at all popular in this day of trying to listen to prophets tell you how the world's going to end and tell you what's going to happen to the United States and try to predict what's going to happen in our culture and all this kind of stuff. Obedience to what you know is exponentially more important than further revelation of what you don't know. God has spoken in his word. You're like, well, I got to have more information. No, you don't. You really don't. Well, this has got to get better. That's got to be, no, no, here you go. You got to do what the late Elizabeth Elliot very simply called the next right thing. And you know enough in his word, and I do too, that we know what those things are relative to our own lives. And so we give him everything and we do it in a permanent and ongoing way. And that leads me to a word here that I'll be honest with you, I don't really like very much because of the way it can sometimes be translated. Look at verse three again. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That word path can be very accurately translated entrenchment or what we might call a rut. Now, every time I hear the word rut, that's what I think. That's what I think a rut is. Either literally or metaphorically, I do not like ruts. I don't like habits, especially when habits get in the way of breaking new ground. Ask my staff. I do not like recalcitrance. I do not like doing the same thing the same way all the time. I, that stuff drives me crazy. And so when I read a, a word like this, I, I, I got to stop a minute. Joel needs a little bit of sanctification because it's in the Bible. And in this particular context, the staff who are listening not in the context we talk about, okay? But in this particular context, it's a good thing. So I got to re-envision the way I think about this, right? Rut, what does it mean? I am in a righteous rut. My repeated pattern is submission, obedience, commitment to Jesus, no matter what. And to get to that place, you got to do one thing. It's really simple, okay? but it's also really hard. You have to give up every right to make your own decisions. That's not too hard, is it? Just give it up. Sometimes that's scary, right? It means I'm going to lose control of something. It means that that there's something precious to me that's got to be handed over. But I'm going to tell you what's even more frightening than turning the control of your life over to the Lord. It's keeping that for yourself. Your own self-destructive sense of self-determination. It's it's dangerous. It's scary. And how many times, how many times have I done that? How many times have the people in front of me done that? You, 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 you lay something down. And I can tell you, if I, if I thought about it long enough, I could tell you multiple stories of, of times when this old boy in, a, in an obviously Holy Spirit-infused moment, because that's the only way I would have done anything like this, has laid everything down before God and said, it is all yours. I give it to you. I got no control over it. It is all yours. You are the one. You are the only. It's all yours. And how many times after I have done that, a few days later, a few weeks, sometimes even a few years later, I go back to that very spot where I laid it down and I go, I, I just, I, I'd like to get that back. You ever been there? I, I need that back. Here's what you need to recognize you're saying to the Lord when you do stuff like that. Okay. And think about this. He leads me in paths of righteousness. 
What do you, I, we're talking about living at peace. So when you ask for that back, when you ask effectively not to be led anymore in that area of your life, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I, that stress that surrounded that, I want it back. That angst that surrounded that, I, I want that back. The possible outrage that came from me controlling that, I want that back. I want the lack of sleep back. I want the bewilderment about my future. I want all of that back. Or you could just let him keep it. Right? Here at Covenant, we quote Abraham Kuyper a lot. Dutch Reformed pastor, former prime minister of the Netherlands, who used to say that there is not one square inch of the entire creation order over which Christ who is sovereign does not cry out, mine. And so if you want a focused peace to govern your life, this is where it starts. Gathering up every part of your life that you have tried to control, taking all your dreams and plans collectively to his throne and laying them at his feet and saying, they're yours. That's where peace starts. That's the starting line. You're like, I don't want to do that. Then you're never going to live the way David lived. Never. You're never going to have it. But the Lord promises it to you if you will begin by submitting to his guidance and secondly, imitating his goodness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So this is a righteous path. And the word David uses here, it's, it's used frequently in the Old Testament with reference to weights and measures. So for example, Deuteronomy 25, 15, we read the following, a full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So both the word full and fair are the same word here that's rendered righteous in Psalm 23. It just means to be just, all right? It means to give other people what they're due. Uh, and there's a couple of words like that, like that in Hebrew. The word mishpat, we actually spent an entire fall back in 2019. You can go back to the podcast and listen if you'd like to. When we did an entire series on this, this, this concept of justice, mishpat is less individual and more corporate. So mishpat speaks of our collective treatment of the vulnerable, giving people what they are due, something that up until about 15 minutes ago in history when somebody decided it was quote-unquote liberal, we called social justice. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Was it conservative or liberal? I don't know, but it's in God's Word, so we're going to do it. Amen? We're gonna, oh, I don't think that. Oh, I think I hit a sore spot. It don't matter if it's conservative or liberal. If it's in God's Word, we're going to do it. Amen. Thank you. Right? But, but here, it, the, the focus is a little different, right? This isn't mishpat. This is a word that's more introspective, and it speaks of your internal drive and motivation. Your desire to be holy as your God is holy. Whoa, whoa, that sounds like some far right. If it's in God's word, we're going to do it. See, this is all we're trying to do here, right? My internal holiness, my drive. David says, if you're following this God and he's your shepherd, your path will be righteous, right? It's not about how good things are, how fat your wallet is. It's about whether I'm doing what I know to be true and right and just according to the written word of God. And so to know that I'm in God's will, I've got to submit to him completely. 
And the way I have, will know I have done that is evidence in the fact that I'm walking a righteous road. So the choices I make and the way I treat others and the way I love my neighbor and the way I serve my church and my community and, and I put others before myself just as Jesus did. Here, here's the idea. If you are already obeying what you know, God will take care of what you don't know. And you can have peace with that. You can live with that internal sense of tranquility even when the, the world is coming apart. If you make a commitment to follow the Lord unconditionally, as David did here, that path will be a righteous path. But again, you're submitting everything to him and you are emulating his life, living as he called you to live. Emily Post, that great queen of etiquette from a generation ago, was once asked, what's the correct procedure if you get an invitation to the White House but you've already had, you already have other plans? Emily Post said the correct procedure is to cancel the other plans. It's to cancel, right? Like, well, I can't go there. I got other. Some things are so important, in other words, that's what she was trying to teach us years and even decades ago, that any other prior engagement just should be canceled. She said the following, an invitation to the White House should be considered a command. And it automatically cancels out any other agreement. And, and I, want, I want you to hear that story because that's what Jesus expects out of you and me. That's how he expects to be followed when he speaks in his word, where his Holy Spirit directs, all other previous engagements are canceled. And, I, and here's where, this is the tough part. I think this is probably the biggest gap that we find to not be able to get there. Because it's a gap between what we say we want, I want peace, I want to live at peace, and our willingness to do what God tells us is necessary in order to get there. I just want to know God's will. Really? Are you sure about that? Are you absolutely sure about that? A recent Gallup poll said that 78% of Americans believe they will go to heaven when they die. 34% of those same people are active in a church or faith community on a regular basis, spend time in prayer, or read and meditate on Scripture daily. That's a 54% gap. That is huge. Huge. Last night, I stayed up just a little bit too late. I was watching TCU give Oklahoma a pretty hard time, actually, uh, until they finally just got tired. Didn't have the bench depth that the Sooners had. And by the fourth quarter, it, it had become a blowout. But they hung in there for a really long time. And I'm watching this game play out in Norman, Oklahoma. And I saw the camera back away in this stadium just full of people, 80,000-plus people at least. My father's up here this weekend. He was in the 9 o'clock service. He's been visiting with us. And I, I, I remember something he said years ago, and he would say it over and over. We would see a picture like that on television, and he would, he would go, I wonder how many of those people are going to be in church tomorrow, right? And, and in fairness to my dad, he didn't just hit what I like. He's a big NASCAR fan, all right? So, and, I've, and I've heard him say the same thing on Sundays, 150,000 people in Charlotte, 120,000 people at the Monster Mile in Dover, Delaware, all these different places where you'd watch cars make left turns for four hours. And he'd ask the same question. I wonder how many people sitting in those stands went at, at the very least to a, to a chapel service that morning. And again, it's not legalistic. This isn't check off the box, I did this, and so now everything's okay. This is about the spirit of your heart, how much time and space I need to carve out to be sure that I'm living in submission to the Word, to be sure that I'm living in submission to God. 
by their life, those 54% of people who do nothing to develop their relationship with the Lord really demonstrate they're not really that interested in heaven. I, I would have a question for those people. I, I'm not really not trying to be sarcastic here. If that's the way you want to live, again, I'm not angry with you. I'm puzzled by that. Why would you want to go to heaven? If you're going to make your life all about you, why on earth would you want to go to a place where you know that for the rest of eternity, the spotlight is never going to be on you? Why would you want to go to such a place? Right? Ain't ever going to be on me either. The day for preaching is done when we all get there. There is one who has that spotlight. He shares it with absolutely no one. You, this is the thing. We, you're going to be reminded for eternity, all of us are, how superior our Creator is to us. And a focused peace doesn't come in. It doesn't come. It never comes from, from separating myself from that God and kind of carving out my own path and then wondering, well, I wonder if he's pleased, if he's not. Focus peace comes from following that shepherd, doing it in a way that we become righteous. So I submit to his guidance. I imitate the goodness that I see in him that he has taught me in his word. And I do it all. Here's the most important point because everything... If I don't do this last thing, everything else I've described, it's just legalism. It's just pharisaical, obey all the rules, check all the boxes. No, I, my motivation has to be there. Live for the shepherd's glory. Look at the latter part of this verse. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for the sake of his own reputation. Now, if you own a home, probably if you rent too, but if you own a home, I'm going to guess that you see about it, right? You, you. Now, there are various levels of home care in front of me, watching me. I get that. I live in a subdivision. I get that. There are some people that are, you're like, dude, it's been a month. Cut your grass, right, for crying out loud. We all got people like that. That's why you have HOAs, right, for people who won't take care of their stuff, right, and they're starting to hurt your resale value and all those kinds of things. But, but generally speaking, most of us do things that we, we want to we keep the home up. We want to keep the value. So we want to keep the grass cut. We want to keep the weeds, uh, the flower beds weeded and all of that kind of stuff. We want to get the HVAC and other systems checked on an annual basis. We're going to keep it insured so that if it burns to the ground, we can rebuild it. We, we want to do those kinds of things to take care of it. But, but we also know, especially those of us who live in like HOA-governed areas, that some of our neighbors are better at this than others. And in fact, you know, don't you, that one neighbor, if you live in this kind of neighborhood, you know who that neighbor is. That their home and their lawn and their landscaping is just immaculate. You've never seen a weed in a flower bed. You, you, you all know people like that? Yeah. We hate those people, don't we? Right? We, no, seriously, there's a guy, I know, I know the guy in my neighborhood, former Marine, not a weed anywhere. And I mean, there's, like, there's all kinds of plants and trees and everything, this beautiful brick home, and it's just immaculate. But you know, never one single time have I ever driven by that guy's house and thought to myself, wow, that grass really grew itself well. Those bushes... They are beautiful, and then I just stop with the bushes. Every single time I drive by this guy's house, I'm like, 
how does he do that? Like, how does he have the time to do it? I don't have the bandwidth to make my yard look like that. How does he do it? What am I doing? I'm not stopping with the work. I'm praising the worker. This is what David's getting at. We do what we do for the sake of his name. Even if you don't know the person who worked in the yard, that neighbor, you praise what they do. David says the same is true of God. He leads us along these righteous paths so that when people look at my life, your life, even if they don't know him, they praise him. Jesus taught us this in Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here's what you need to know. It's not which job offer you get. When it comes to following the will of the Lord, that's not what it's about. What, should, what job should I take? Here's what it's about. How does the job you have right now or any job you take in the future allow other people the opportunities to know how God works through watching your life? It's not about what school to attend. It's about how God will be known when your classmates observe you because the point is that our lives are for his glory. Our Presbyterians, brothers and sisters, express this so well in their shorter catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if that's not your aim, then you don't have the heart that David had in verse 3. And if you don't have the heart that David had in verse 3, it really doesn't matter what choice you make. You're going to find yourself being disobedient. Legalistically disobedient, perhaps. Checking all the boxes, perhaps. But, but legalistically disobedient because the motivation that should be there is not there. Because you do not live for yourself. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, and so am I. I think I read that somewhere. And so that's our mentality. There's a story about a young Navy recruit who got invited to be the best man at, at his best friend's wedding. And so he go, goes into his commanding officer, and, and there's a given Saturday where he needs to be off. And his commanding officer looks at the schedule and, and kind of laying everything out. He looks back up at that young recruit, and he says, you can take off to the wedding. Have fun. Be back here by 1900. That's 7 p.m. Problem was the wedding started at 7 p.m. And so the, the young recruit says, but sir, the, the wedding starts at the time when you're telling me it would be back, that I need to be back. And, and I, I, I need more time than that. I, I, I need to be at the wedding. And the commanding officer, knowing what needed to be done, where everybody needed to be, looked back at his young recruit and he said, do I have to tell you twice? Be back by 1900. And out of exasperation, the young recruit said, but sir, I'm in the wedding. And the commanding officer said, no, son, you're in the Navy. Sometimes we forget who we're doing this for, don't we? We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. Here's the encouraging word, though. I, I just don't, if you don't hear anything else I've said, please hear this. If you are living for the sake of his name, if that's your heart, you just want to spread his fame and glory everywhere you go, you will never have to worry about whether or not you're making the right choice or following his will. Because you will. Live for the shepherd's glory. Psalm 37 puts it this way. So, so beautiful. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself. Now, now get that prosperity gospel crap out of your head. Oh, oh, okay, so if I do this thing, and you very quickly skip to that that next phrase, and you go, my desire of my heart. Well, I really want a Cadillac, right? 
or I want, want, I want a house with a bigger bedroom, or I want a jacuzzi tub, a garden tub, and the master bath, or, or I want this, or I want that. And you, you, you skip the whole first part here. If your delight is in the Lord, what will be the desire of your heart? The Lord, yeah. yeah it, and, and look, it's okay to get all that other stuff. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your delight is in the Lord, you're now at peace because you never have to worry about whether or not he's ever going to give you himself. He always does. Remember that God-awful mess on Golgotha's Hill 2,000 years ago. God always has given of himself to us. So delight yourself in that. You, you want, if you want to find God's will, ironically enough, stop looking for it and just seek God. Just seek him. This summer, our family spent a little time at the Grand Canyon and we saw quite a few hikers. And one of the things I've learned about serious hikers, because I am not one, but I, I learned, you know, they, they love what they do, the bright angel trail the head of that trail when they're not when they're going down getting started when they're coming back up after lord only knows how many hours they've been down in that canyon and they smell and they're sweaty and there's there's bruises and cuts and blood and that but you know what else there are these huge smiles because they love this stuff and what i've learned about those serious hikers is when they're packing they're just as serious they want to make sure they take everything they need They want to make sure they take not one ounce more than what they need. And so they're putting everything into their backpacks, right? The tent, the first aid kit, the food, the camp stove, the fire starter, the water filter if it's needed. But before they take that first step, they've made sure that there is absolutely nothing of what they refer to as invisible weight. Something that they're carrying that they don't need. Because any amount of invisible weight holds them back and slows them down. Let me ask you a question this morning. How much emotional, spiritual, invisible weight is just hanging around your soul this morning? Here's the one essential. Delight yourself in the Lord. Submit yourself completely to him. Take joy in submitting to him. Have a life disposition that says more than anything else in the world, And no, you're not going to get there every single time. You're going to have days where you're going to completely blow it. I have days where I completely blow it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, there are also days where I have, and I know I will in the future because the Lord loves me and wants to empower me to this, wake up with exactly that disposition. I have one desire, and it is to bring glory to the one who created me, who loved me, who gave himself for me, the one who continues to allow my heart to be, the one who who allows me to come here this morning and proclaim the greatest news that's ever been heard in all of human history, starting with the fact that the heart he created and the blood he created continue to pump through my veins for one reason, because there's a sovereign God that allowed me to live today and he loves me and he's good and he's just and he's righteous and he's giving i want to give him everything man i wish i could live like that every day i fail so often i know some of you do too but but here's the good news in those moments when you can get there you know how to find the will of the lord it doesn't matter anymore If that's where your head is and that's where your heart is, you do whatever you want. You see the freedom in that? The Lord's saying, don't don't be 
chewing your nails to the quick, wondering whether you made the right decision. Don't be looking back five years, 10 years. What if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? Don't be wondering tomorrow or next week or next year. What about this? What about that? Lord, what do you want me to do? Fall completely in love. Become enraptured with this God who created you, who loved you, who gave himself for you, and you will always, always be in his will every single time. The question is really whether or not you know him, right? This is what Christian faith is. It's what makes it unique. We, we are not a religion full of rules and regulations, although we do have rules and regulations, but they're not about the rules. It's about whether you know this one. And if you don't know him, you're never going to have what David had here. The good news is you can. See, the, the same scriptures that, that where we find the 23rd Psalm are, are the same scriptures where we read that there is a God who created you in his image, in his likeness, for glorious purpose, a purpose for which you have spectacularly failed at achieving, and I have too, and so has everyone else in the world, because we have inherited the sin of our father Adam, and that has separated us from God. It's created a chasm that we simply cannot cross, no matter how good we are, no matter what we accomplish, no matter what we do, but that God in his goodness came to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he took the wrath that was due us upon himself, rose bodily from the dead, offers us a way back across that chasm, back into relationship with God. And if we'll turn from our sins and put all of our faith in what he did for us in the cross and resurrection, we can know him. And knowing him is the start of treasuring him. And treasuring him is how we get to the kind of peace that David speaks of. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, a, a very famous poem with a very profound message, particularly in times like these. Father, the things that we've been made to endure over the last couple of years, and Lord, on top of all that, the normal just kind of suffering and things that happen in people's lives. And Father, you long for us to come to you and to live at peace in the middle of it. You long to have churches who will embody that. So as the rest of the world is running around full of angst, full of hopelessness, waiting on things to get better, they can see a crazy bunch of people living at peace in the middle of a world that's coming apart. Father, would you help us by your spirit to embody that? And Lord, may we benefit from it as well. I pray for every person in the sound of my voice right now that they would leave here more at peace than when they came in. I pray, Father, that you would bless them. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would enable them today to seek you with all of, your, of their heart, to treasure you above and beyond all other things, to delight themselves in you so that you may give them the desires of their heart. I pray for all of that to be fulfilled today. In the name of Jesus, amen. You want to stand?